You know what has been great? Watching playoff caliber teams face off every weekend for the past two weekends. You know what hasn't been great? This list of offensive coordinator candidates for the Jets. Although in the past 48 hours, it has been trending up slightly. What's up, Jets fans? Welcome to a rare weekend edition of Jet Nation Live. We are your hosts, Dylan Terman and Glenn Naughton. Thank you for tuning in to episode 20 of our show. I know it's right before kickoff of the divisional games. So thank you for tuning in before those games kick off. Glenn, how are we doing this weekend? Ah, uh, doing all right. You know, things were uh, things were a little hectic for me the last couple of days, um, the last week or so. Couldn't join you guys last week. And then um, obviously we had a pushback Thursday night, which was a shame. But, you know, we're here and plenty to talk about. I'm kind of glad we did because now we get an experienced coordinator to talk about, which we wouldn't have had before. And um, just uh, the the whole situation is is confusing. So we'll have some stuff to talk about. Yeah, certainly confusing when you look at all the now eight names that have been thrown into the ring for the Jets offensive coordinator position in somewhat chronological order of how they were reported. Kevin Petullo, pass game coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. Marcus Brady, former OC of the Colts, now offensive consultant for the Eagles. Nick Cayley, tight end coach for the New England Patriots. Nathaniel Hackett, former head coach of the Denver Broncos. Brian Johnson, quarterback coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Notice that will be the third Philadelphia coach in this cycle. Uh, Chad O'Shea, pass game coordinator slash wide receivers coach for the Miami Dolphins. And the newest name added just a couple hours ago, Clint Kubiak, son of Gary Kubiak, pass game coordinator slash quarterbacks coach for the Denver Broncos. One name that I will add that was taken out of the um, pool was Daryl Bevel, a fan favorite. Definite fan favorite, Daryl Bevel, the quarterback's coach of Miami. He declined uh, the interviews and said he will be going back to Miami for next season. So of those list of names, Glenn, we'll just jump right into it. Are there any of them that stick out to you more so than the other ones? Well, only Kubiak, because he's the only guy I look at and say he's got experience as a play caller and was probably the one actually calling the plays. Um, You know, a lot of guys, no play calling experience. Some guys with a year or two, but they were sort of in their first years as coordinators under an offensive head coach. So it's like in those situations, I'm always like, who's really calling the plays when you have a, uh, you know, when you're working for Frank Reich, who's a former quarterback and a former offensive coordinator and you're, and you're learning on the job, um, how much of it is you. And, and it's tough. You know, people will say like, <clears throat> Oh, it's um, you know, the, the coach said himself that the guy is calling the, of course he's going to say the guy's calling the plays. He's not going to he's not going to admit to the world that I have this guy in a position that I don't believe he's capable of filling. Um, I w- and not even to get into names, because, you know, people have their favorites and I love this guy and I hate that guy. But I remember there was a hot candidate a couple of years ago and it was a guy that I was like, oh, I'm not so sure he's calling plays. And people are sending me these quotes. Look, here's the coach. He says he's calling the plays and blah, blah, blah. So I said, OK. And, and the, that following Sunday or a week or two later, that team was on and I flipped on the TV to take a look at what I was seeing. And on multiple occasions, I see the offensive coordinator who calls the plays, like talking to the players while the head coach has a headset on and the play sheet in front of his face covering his mouth while he's very clearly calling the plays. Yep. And I'm yep. like, I don't care what this guy is saying when he's in front of a microphone. I can see with my eyes that he's calling the plays. And there were still people. No, no, no. I heard him in an interview and he said that coordinator is one of the best in the business and he's calling all the. Okay. You believe what you want to believe. But I'm telling you, like, I'm watching the guy literally call the plays. 
Yeah, it's really unfortunate when uh, you can see it with your own eyes and you're being told something completely different by by the folks that, that claim that they're smarter. So um, my, I, I kind of fall into that same thought process with all these guys. I just want a guy who has called plays at some at some NFL level, whether it was a couple games, a season, two seasons, and it seems like we're missing the mark even at that point. Like we have guys that are just completely green to calling plays or will be their first time calling plays for the Jets. And I feel like if we're going to follow that mold, why not? I, I, I understand I am becoming a truther slash defender of Michael Floor at this point with my take, but you might as well have just kept him for the third year and figured it out instead of hoping that it's figured out with the new guy. And if it doesn't work, he's probably out of a job anyway. So it's really a tough position. Um, I obviously have some names that I prefer over others and, and they're all guys that fall into this first time play caller category. I think Brian Johnson has done a good job in Philadelphia. Obviously it's easy to just look at the best hottest team in the NFL and say, let's pluck from their coaching staff. But it also ties back to Joe Douglas and his ties in, in Philadelphia. Obviously he's pulling from the Reich tree in, in uh, Indianapolis as well. And a name that was floated out in the chat that I did forget to mention. Um, it's an interview, but it hasn't happened yet. Joe Brady quarterbacks coach for the Buffalo Bills. Um, again, another guy who limited play calling experience. And when he did have play calling experience, it didn't go over so well in Carolina. I still am of the mind that he learned a thing or two in Buffalo as opposed to Carolina. And he's now practicing red zone drills in offense. And he's doing all the things that a better OC could do. So maybe his name is at the top of the list. But again, you're going back to these young guys where you probably still need to hire a senior offensive assistant. And that makes it that much tougher too, because now you're hiring two guys that need to gel together. So in your mind, are there any candidates? I know obviously Frank Reich has been floated out there, but other than Kubiak, like Nathaniel Hackett, does he come to mind? I know you have thoughts about his father, Paul, and I'm again, very young and I'll use my age as a luxury as a Jets fan to say I was not around for the Paul Hackett days on the third and 10 draws up the middle. So any of your thoughts on Nathaniel Hackett? Uh, listen, I understand it, it's, it's a weird thing. I can, any Jets fan who lived through the Paul Hackett era, I can't blame them for, um, for, for cringing when they hear that name. I know I still do. It's really tough to, to judge him. I, I didn't watch a lot of Denver this year, honestly, but when the Jets were getting ready to play them, I, I watched a couple of their games. I watched a lot of what analysts were saying about Russell Wilson and I'm looking at it, and I am seeing guys. I mean, the weird thing about the Russell Wilson thing is he literally had guys wide open right in front of him. Mm-hmm. Like, these weren't guys like he's missing a guy in a corner because he's looking that way. These are guys in the middle of the field, wide open, waving their arms, and Russell Wilson not seeing them. So how much of it was on Russell Wilson and how much of it was on Nathaniel Hackett, you know, I really don't know. And I, I it does make me cringe to think of bringing that guy's kid in. But I can't say I would hate it. I mean, I would have to give him a chance, basically. It would scare the hell out of me, but he's probably the most experienced guy of the group. Again, Kubiak called plays for a year in Minnesota, had solid results, 14th in points, 16th in yards, but he also had a senior offensive assistant that he worked with. So how much input was there there? Um, but th- those are the guys that jump out. Reich is, you know, as someone said to me the other day, you know, the uh, the situation in Indianapolis, Indianapolis went south in a hurry um, with some of the decisions he made. So, what you know, how much of it is him, how much of it, is him and how much of it is, you know, when he was in Philly, what he had Doug Peterson. Right. So Mm. this is the thing when you get these guys, you know, I felt the same way when Rex was here and when people would talk about any of his coordinators, I'm like, if Rex isn't calling the plays, he's a hundred percent changing the plays. If he doesn't like the calls, he's has veto power. Yep. I mean, yeah. I mean, Rex, Rex was 
you know, Rex famously uh, blew that situation in Green Bay with the timeout because he was listening to the defensive headset, defensive channel while the offense was on the field. So Rex was all about the defense, and we know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, these guys have the title, but when you have these these experienced head coaches who are very experienced on one side of the ball, we don't know when they're interjecting and when they're not. Some guys maybe they're not at all, but we just don't know. So what we do know is that the Jets are interviewing a bunch of guys who have never even had the title. Um, and you can say that, you know, this guy is doing this and this guy's doing, like you said, the hot guy of the moment. I remember when Todd Bowles came in and we were like, oh, they they just scooped up this mastermind defensive yeah. genius from Arizona and we're just going to shut everybody down. And the other option at that time was Dan Quinn. Oh, one of the either one of these guys, these great coaches, which Quinn obviously had more success. Um, but you know, he's famous for the biggest meltdown in the, in the history of the, of the NFL. And, uh, and Todd Bowles defense was terrible. He had stacked D line and couldn't get to the quarterback. So uh, I, I just, I honestly can't believe, again, a lot of this has to do with where the jets are right now. Mm-hmm. If they were earlier in the rebuild, fine, roll the dice on a young, hot coordinator. Who's making a lot of, you know, good decisions as a, as a QB coach or whatever it may be. Or maybe you have a new staff coming in, you know, the way you did with LaFleur, where you should have probably had an offensive assistant. But I I, I can't believe that we're seeing a, a head coach and a GM in the situation these guys are in, even entertaining the thought of letting someone call plays for the first time in their life. What if you bring that guy in and you can see right away he's not good? Yep. What do you, you, You're stuck. Like, okay, well, this is it. He's our guy. It's not even like you have an offensive head coach who can say, all right, I'm going to step in. You don't even have that. So this is crazy to me. I, I, when they when they fired Lafleur, like I thought, like there is zero chance they hire another Lafleur. You're not going to go with a guy who has no experience. And to your point with Lafleur, I agree 100. percent Like you can say all you want about Mike Lafleur and his red zone play calls, but he he would now be entering year three. He would be the guy. Like he's a couple years ahead of the guy you would be bringing in because he's had this, he's had some success, but he's had some mistakes that he can learn from. So who's to say he wasn't going to spend this offseason saying, I'm going to watch every red zone call I made 50 times and figure out what I got wrong. And like that, that's going to be the area where I need to improve. Because between the 20s, he was fine. Well, he wasn't perfect, but he was his quarterbacks, other than Zach Wilson, had really good results. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, guys get better. They grow. They improve. And maybe <clears throat> Mike LaFleur, I would, I would rather have Mike LaFleur heading into year three than brand new guy who might not be good at anything. And that's not to say they won't bring in a new guy who doesn't blow the doors off and, and you know, and and have a, a fantastic offense from day one. I'm just saying I can't believe they would leave open the possibility of handing it over to a guy who's never done it and find out he can't. And then they're all fired. Yeah, exactly. And just circling back to Hackett again, somebody mentioned it in the comments there. If if he's going to entice Aaron Rodgers to come over, I can understand how that could be a thought process. But I feel like Denver fell for that trap last year, and they thought Aaron Rodgers was going to be on the move last offseason. Instead, he got a big contract from Green Bay. Nathaniel Hackett still left, became the head coach, and then I think they had to pivot to Russell Wilson. I don't. That's I can't confirm or deny that, obviously, but I feel like yeah. that is what something that could have happened and derailed their whole offensive philosophy. So I think if that's the, the thought process, you try to entertain that. But what happens if we get Hackett and Rodgers doesn't leave Green Bay? Can we run Nathaniel Hackett and Jordan Love? I don't think that's necessarily the pairing that has been, you know, lauded by, you know, all these experts as a good pairing. So, yeah, I think you're just ending up in a spot where 
like you said before, was going into year three. So if you're going to take somebody with experience, he better have probably two years of experience calling plays because if not, you're just replacing somebody with a lateral step. And in a year full of stability, and we'll rank some of these OC, you know, where the Jets rank in OC openings compared to the league in just a second. But when you don't have that much stability in your your front office and, and ownership certainly doesn't agree with everything that's been going on, clearly, it, it makes it tough to to get a Frank Reich or even a Nathaniel Hackett who has been around the league and has seen situations now. Frank Reich is entertaining head coaching options. Only the Arizona Cardinals and the Carolina Panthers so far have reached out and interviewed him. So not really the greatest um, openings, but if he wants to be a head coach, he could surely take those. Now we can flip into this rankings. I'm trying to pull up a list of all the openings, uh, head coach slash OC. And I want to see where the Jets rank amongst them, because I think it's kind of middle, middle of the pack. Some people really think it's the best job out there. And some people think it's the worst job out there. I'm kind of in the middle. Um, I tend to think teams like uh, Los Angeles are a better spot for an OC. Um, I'm trying to pull up the list now, but just off the top of your head, do you think they're somewhere in the middle or near the top or bottom of this ranking? Well, I'd, I'd honestly have to look at their cap situation. I, I, I remember hearing not mm-hmm. long ago that they were going to have to have an exodus of talent because because of the players that they're they're not going to be able to retain. And I think Aaron Donald, didn't he like change his, his, his like Twitter profile the other day? It read former NFL player, mm-hmm. but then he changed it back. So I don't make jockeying for money. I don't know. But yeah, with, without really knowing who's going to be there and who, I feel like they're just, they're, the uncertainty of who's going to be there and who's not uh, makes them a little less appealing. Um, if they're going to lose as much talent as people are saying, I, I forget exactly what their cap situation is, but it's not good. And they're going to have to, and I think they've kind of moved enough money around. It's going to be hard to keep doing. Yeah. I'm just pulling it up right now, uh, live. So of course it's going to take me a minute. I don't see where they're at, but clearly they're not at the top. If I have to load the rest of the page to find their salary cap. So I'll, I'll continue to pull it up, but yeah, I just, I look at this OC job and I don't think it's the worst. I don't think it's the best you have. Obviously, key pieces in place. Obviously, Elijah Moore, you would think is sticking around if um, after what Zach Rosenblatt put out for the athletic, uh, him and his rift with Mike LaFleur, you would assume that they chose Elijah Moore over Mike LaFleur um, in that situation. So you'd hope that Elijah Moore is a little bit satiated. Um, His father did tweet out that they are going to find him his Jalen Hurts last night. So fans, That's what to- I mean. do you want, do you want, do you want a guy in the locker room whose dad is going to social media to trash your quarterback, whether he's your starter or not, Zach's still on the team. Exactly. And if the planets keep Zach around and your dad's going on social media to rip him, um, I don't know how the Jets are going to feel about that. Like, do, do you want that guy in your locker room? Exactly. And of the three main, you know, protagonists of that article, it was Elijah Moore, Zach Wilson, and Mike LaFleur. And there's a reasonable case to be made that none of them are on the opening day roster for 2023. I think Zach Wilson, just based off his contract, should be and probably will be from the developmental process. But if they move on from Elijah Moore, especially in a trade for one of these quarterbacks, I mean, who knows what could happen? I feel like he could not like the OC and just request another trade in the offseason again. So it's just going to be a really, you know, crappy situation if they end up with none of those guys on the roster starting over again on offense learning a whole new system a system that got 1100 yards out of Garrett Wilson when everybody on the field knew the ball was going to Garrett Wilson so I feel like some things had to have worked for you know for LaFleur to you know possibly keep his job but it is what it is we can we can move on until there's actually concrete you know movement maybe a phase two where some candidates are phased out of the the opening for the OC job and, and it looks like looks like the Rams are projected to be 15 million over at the moment, which isn't horrible by today. No, standards. they can they can, can move work around that, that around, but yeah, that's not a 
it's not an enviable spot to be in if you're the Rams. Yeah, and and how much does Stafford have left? You know, um, obviously exactly. you'd rather have you'd rather have him than nobody, which is what the Jets have right now. But I think I I wonder if the Jets are, I mean, obviously if they're going to make a play for Carr, that's going to happen soon. But if you just let the oncoming guy know, we're going to do everything we can to get Carr. If that fails, you're going to be a big part of finding out who comes in next, and you know you're going to have huge input. And mm-hmm. to me, what makes the Jets' spot so attractive is the defense. Like Certainly. you tell the guy, like all we you're going to have Brees Hall, ABT's back. You're going to have you might have Elijah Moore. You're going to have Garrett Wilson. We just need to get us 17 to 21 points a game, and we'll probably get to the playoffs. Like we're not asking you to to light up the scoreboard and put up thirty every week, but go go through the Jets game logs last year. You see all these games where you know the opponents scoring thirteen points, sixteen points, ten points, and they're losing. So mm-hmm. that to me, like especially if you're a young coordinator, you should be like that gives me a little wiggle room. Like if I have a bad week and we only put up seventeen, we still might win. You know, right. and 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 if we do that early in the year, fine, and we get better as we go, great. So I think not having to be perfect early on or really throughout the season, just being able to deal with some hiccups better than other teams who don't have the same, you know, tandem at cornerback that the Jets have, the same defense the Jets have. Yeah, certainly. I think not to say that this is should be an option, but if they were to run it back with a more durable version of Mike White in 2023, I think the results would be similar. Obviously, you would expect growth and probably 10 wins out of this team moving forward, but if you could have steady quarterback play, I feel like this team could easily be a seven to eight win team floor moving forward for at least the next couple of years because of the Absolutely. contract situations with a lot of these rookies that aren't getting paid a lot of money that are supposed to be putting on for their team, like Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson. Like these guys are the, the face of the franchise and they're actually making it work. So I don't think a quarterback, oh, they are a quarterback away, but it doesn't have to be a superstar necessarily, but right. Unfortunately for the situation, they need a superstar. And for today, we're doing the great quarterback debate. We're taking probably two of the hottest names on Twitter. Glenn is taking, um, he's in the, the corner of Derek Carr, former Las Vegas Raider quarterback. And I am in the corner of Lamar. Future, Jackson. future, former, future, future, former Las Vegas Raider. Yeah. It's very <laughs> weird, weird how they both say goodbye, but they're still together technically. And I have former, uh, for now, former uh, current, excuse me, Baltimore Ravens quarterback, there is a a two hundred percent chance that nobody has any idea what is going on there for now. And I'm gonna let you go first. I have both pros and cons. I know this was supposed to be more versus each other, but I, I I have such a hard time saying no to any of the top five quarterbacks that I'm willing to be sold on Derek Carr. So I will let you go first before I rebuttal. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, I, that's the thing. Like my, my position isn't that I don't want Lamar Jackson. My, my thing is that surprises me. I've, I've seen quite a few people say things along the lines of like, it, it's a no brainer. And how, how can you not? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, nobody can give me a single reason why you don't go after Lamar Jackson. And I'm like, not a sing not a single reason. Yeah. Like how, how, how often do we say, and by we, I mean, football fans, I say it, you say it, we, you've heard players say it, GM say it. Um, you know, the best abilities availability, like, yep. and that's been an issue for Lamar Jackson of late. Um, he missed f- what five games at the end of last season. And really the last game he played last year, he took four snaps to me. That's another missed game. Like you couldn't yes. go, you played four snaps and then you missed the next four games after that. And he missed a game two weeks before that. Mm-hmm. So really he finishes the season. What is that? One, two, three, four, five. He missed six out of eight games to end last year. And then he misses the last six this year. So what is that? He's missed 12 of his last sort of 
25, 30 games. So that that's not a really great clip. And you're talking about a guy who, again, is going to command two first rounders and 50 million a year. Um, if I can get Derek Carr, who is nowhere near as dynamic, but is more durable, is as consistent, obviously can't do as much as Lamar can. And I don't have to give up my two ones. And I can use those as building blocks. Like, I don't I don't just get Derek Carr. I get, let's say, Derek Carr and Skaronsky to play left tackle. And and I have a one next year. Whereas this year I get Lamar and I don't have a left tackle or a first round pick. Um, and I'm paying more money to do it. Um, and the other thing, of course, you know, we talk a lot about um about you know postseason production. Lamar's been terrible in the playoffs. Like I know Carr's only been there once, but you know, the thing with Carr. As we've talked about, he's a guy who's given, you know, his defense has given up more points than any team in the NFL since he entered the league. So without him being the best quarterback in the NFL, which he's not, um, they weren't going to have a winning record. The best they could hope for when your defense is 32nd in the NFL over an eight year stretch to, to hope to be above, you know, 300 is asking a lot. And they, the, the Raiders have had, you know, they've had one playoff year. They've had a lot of sort of, you know, six, seven, eight win seasons. Um, but Lamar career in the playoffs, one in three, 55% completion rate in the playoffs. And 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 now you're talking about a guy, he's got these this knee injury that obviously ended up being worse than we expected. And I was going to explain to you, Dylan, um, if you remember, we had a, a an exchange on Twitter recently where I talked about um, the quote regarding his, uh, his knee and that the injury being worse than it was, surgery yes. possibly being um, required. And I and there was so there was a little confusion there where that came from. It was a quote from Lamar that our our good friend uh, Scott Mason at uh, Play Like a Jet he sent that quote um, to an orthopedic surgeon who he has on his show quite often to talk injuries. So I read the quote. The part in quotes was Lamar. Mm-hmm. What what wasn't in quotes was the reply from the orthopedic surgeon. So this was an ortho saying if because you know he didn't examine Lamar, but he's saying based on what Lamar Jackson is saying. If, if what Lamar Jackson is describing is actually what he has, then that means the injury we, we were told previously is a more severe injury with a less predictable, that will require surgery with a less predictable, less predictable surgical outcome and recovery time. So even if things go well, you know, relative to where they are now, you have to wonder, is Lamar going to be the same guy? Is he going to still be that running quarterback? And, and, you know, to me, the, the, in terms of how frequently guys are, and I said a, a few weeks, a couple months ago, I can't remember if it was while we were talking about Lamar. I said, maybe it's time to rethink this concern we have. We always hear like, you know, running quarterbacks are going to get hurt more often, which doesn't really feel like it's the case because quarterbacks mm-hmm. run more now than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like they're, you know, not like careers are ending left and right. Mm-hmm. However, when you look at the cumulative effect of these hits, and the only really comparable guy we have from this era is Cam Newton. And if you look at Cam, obviously a much bigger, stronger dude than sure. Lamar Jackson. Yep. If you look at Cam Newton's career production and from the year he won that MVP, he threw 35 touchdowns that year and then just, just downward spiral. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I think he, I think he may have thrown 20 one more time in his career. So seeing the, 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 the way uh, Lamar Jackson's production slipped this year, I don't think he threw more than one touchdown in a game over the final seven or over his final seven or eight games. Um, so, so, so what you have is a guy coming off of an injury, 
um, has missed significant time two years in a row. Uh, statistically, his worst season this year. And I'm going to give up two first rounders and $50 million a year for that. Whereas I could have a guy who's less dynamic, but more durable, very consistent, has won on some bad teams, and I get to keep my two ones. I get Peter Skaronsky with him. That, to me, that makes it a no-brainer to me. Versus, suppose you get Lamar, you don't get Skaronsky. Week 10, Lamar's knee starts barking again, and now you're back to Mike White from week 11 forward. Yeah, yeah, I certainly think when you add the aspect of a Peter Skaronsky or a Paris Johnson or whoever it will be, most likely offensive line in the first round picks, especially over the next two years for the Jets, it definitely sways the argument and makes it almost like a no-brainer, essentially, like you said, that Derek Carr is the pick. Um, I do want to say about his two injuries, uh, I do want to start just on the, the negative for Lamar because that's where you were. Um, the, the injuries, both that he sustained a bone bruise in the ankle in 2021 and the 2022 PCL strain, which at this point we're assuming is grade three, completely torn. Both of those injuries were sustained in the pocket. So for that perspective, I, I liked how you brought that in about, you know, quarterbacks running aren't necessarily leading to more injuries. Obviously somebody can easily say Kyler Murray was scrambling when he tore his ACL. And yes, that's that's one example. But obviously Lamar's case is very different and it shows just how different every situation and, is. And every, every quarterback's going to scramble at some point. It's exactly. Not, you know, Zach Wilson yeah. got hurt scrambling in preseason yeah. against the Eagles. So anybody's prone to those types of injuries. And obviously I just did a quick Google search. Um, Scott did uh, a lot more research with his orthodontic source or ortho, uh, ortho source. And uh, I looked up a grade three complete tear, no surgery, approximately three to four months. And obviously no surgery leads to variables in, in the recovery. And obviously surgery does too. And that is a 12 month timetable. And that is, you know, I'm assuming for a normal human being, not necessarily a rigorous athlete going back out there expected to do all the things that a quarterback is expected to do. So you figure he got injured in November, late October, I believe it was week 13. That puts him out for most of the 2023 season as well. So therefore, you know, it's it's hard. You, you're not going to have him. Is, is that from the time of injury or for the time of surgery? If surgery this would be from the time of injury. And obviously he hasn't had any surgery that we know right. of. And if that's the, I had, I didn't look at the time of window for surgery because I know some injuries, if you go too long, you can't have surgeries or they are different types of surgeries at that point, but it would be 12 months from surgery. So now you're looking at a long time missed in 2023. So you would need to have a backup plan. Um, however, I do think that even if you took away 25% of Lamar Jackson's ability as a runner, he is still a better player than Derek Carr. Obviously, that's not enough to say he's the right answer. But I did a little bit of digging into their career history, their numbers. I posted it on Twitter at DTerriman. You can check that out. Just from a multiple pass touchdown rate and multiple interception rate, over Derek Carr's 142 games, so a much larger sample size than Lamar Jackson's 70 games, Derek Carr had three-plus passing touchdowns at a rate of 16.1%. Lamar Jackson had it at 22.8%. And going back to your point, the first three uh, weeks of the 2022 season, Lamar Jackson had 10 touchdowns and two interceptions passing. He had three, three, and four. Then I don't think he scored two touchdowns passing for another eight weeks until he got, you know, two touchdowns. I think he never touched three again in 2022. So that's obviously he started very hot and then it, it slowly dwindled and then the knee injury killed him. 
I also looked at two-plus interception rate. Derek Carr had an 18.3% two-plus interception rate. Lamar Jackson had a 12.8%. So Lamar was about five points percentage points better in each category. He was throwing three-plus pass touchdowns at a higher rate and throwing two-plus interceptions at a lower rate. Then I broke it down even further into their last 20 games. Obviously, that goes back a little bit further with Lamar due to the injury, so that stems back into the 2020 season. Derek Carr is mostly 2021 and 2022. Again, durability. In the last 20 games, Derek Carr has two instances of three-plus pass touchdowns and five instances of two-plus interception games. So uh, Lamar Jackson has four three-plus pass touchdown games and four to a plus interception game. So obviously more two, uh, three plus touchdown games for Lamar and more two plus interception games for Derek Carr. Obviously that goes to the supporting cast. I know that's a lot of numbers that I just threw out there, but it goes, it speaks a lot to the, the whole Lamar is just a running quarterback and our guy, Emery Hunt, I don't have the tweet to pull up. You can follow him at FB game plan. He tweeted it out. Lamar ran a pro style offense in college under Bobby Petrino and Lamar Jackson even quote tweeted it and said, thank you with the prayer hands and the rocket as he's been doing all off season. So Lamar Jackson can run any system. That's not to say his running shouldn't be taken advantage of. Obviously it should. And then I'm going to use this into my negatives into Derek Carr. Um, I'm tired of the, he'd be the best passer in Jets history argument because I crunched the numbers on every single quarterback, including Jimmy Garoppolo, and if you put him in the exact same sample size as Joe Namath, who we are comparing these quarterbacks to, why all of a sudden, or why we have to compare to 1967 Joe Namath? Because all our passers in between have absolutely sucked. So you have to compare to 1967 Joe Namath, and every single quarterback with that sample size would do better than Joe Namath from a statistical standpoint. So I understand Derek Carr, he would have the best numbers by far of a Jets quarterback. But guess what? So would Aaron Rodgers. So would Tom Brady. Lamar Jackson would if he played 100 and whatever games that Joe Namath played. And obviously he's 26, so he could still. And, and Jimmy Garoppolo is probably the only one that's borderline. And I think everybody knows that Jimmy Garoppolo is the least favorite option of quarterback. So I just look at Derek Carr, and, I, and this would be the, the, the wrap of it. Derek Carr is like playing the price is right. You have three doors. The first door you open is Derek Carr. Because of the February 15th deadline that the, the Raiders have to decide by, is Derek Carr going to get moved by February 15th? If he is, the window to franchise tag any player, including Lamar Jackson, doesn't open for six more days. The Jets would have to open and accept door number one on the Price is Right six days before knowing the fate of Lamar Jackson. Some people are willing to wait. Some people aren't. I understand if the Jets aren't because they're in a situation where they're kind of scrambling. They're scouring, you know, Middle Earth to find a quarterback. Jeremy Fowler put out a report that they could even be in on Aaron Rodgers. So just all these moving parts, Derek Carr being the first domino that has to fall, I think that makes it probably more of a case that he is the next Jets quarterback, and I'm okay with it. I won't be, you know, running through the streets happy about it, but I certainly will be happy that we can finally – plan on getting over this playoff hump i will say though when you look at Derek carr's 19 average turnovers per season it makes me really weary that that's a lot of turnovers that people aren't going to stand for despite the upside of him and i'm going back and reviewing his 2021 games i started with kansas city and i like a lot of the things i see i don't like some of the things i see and i can 
see some pocket issues that I'm not really happy with, but his anticipation on a couple throws and he had a nice touchdown pass to Renfro that I really liked. So it's a mixed bag, certainly with Derek Carr, but I feel like that's what you're going to get with every quarterback at this stage when you're this desperate, throwing this many picks and money at the quarterback. So I can see it either way. I, I would love Lamar. Lamar is the type I would run through the streets happy for because we have a former MVP and the window is open longer and more. I feel like you're a more bigger contender with Lamar, but I can see it either way. Um, I think the 230 million for Lamar is really tough to swallow because a lot of that comes out of Woody Johnson's pocket. Any guarantees come out of owner's pockets. They don't come out of the salary cap or anything like that. Coaches, they come out of the owner's pocket. So a lot of this is on Woody Johnson essentially to, you know, put his, put his, you know, what's on the table well, and go all well, in. Well, well, I mean, guarantees count against the cap. It's just that they get, they get prorated over the life of the contract. So right. it's not like it's not a $230 million hit right away, but it's still going to be a $30, $40 million a year. It's, it's a huge check that Woody Johnson up front does have to cut. I don't know the exact yes, portion of yes. it, but it's going right. to be a large millions, probably yeah, hundred something million in guarantees absolutely. to Lamar absolutely. right away. Whatever's at signing, any of that, I'm, I'm sure that that all comes out of Woody. Most of it should. So it's, it's a lot on Woody Johnson's shoulders to – you know, like I said, put his, you know, what's on the table, put his chips in and go all in on, on any quarterback, because that's what we need. We're, we're starving for it. We're dying for it. Our players want it. I think our players want certain quarterbacks over others. And I think Derek Carr's family wants the jets. I think on Twitter, they, they clearly want the jets. They're tweeting and retweeting anything about the jets and Derek Carr in association. So take that with however many grains of salt you want. But I think that there's enough evidence in place that Derek Carr could be the next jets quarterback. I, I think so. And, and, the, and, you know, the thing is with, you know, with comparing stats, it's, it's hard to get to take every single thing into account, you know, but the, the things, you know, like, like Carr having more picks, of course, you know, the, the philosophies, you know, he he's played, as I said, he's played on teams that are always behind. So he's always throwing. Yep. Whereas Lamar plays on a, in a franchise where they still believe in ground and pound and they run the ball. Usually more, they're usually in the top sort of five ten in the league in rush attempts. Uh, but but the biggest factor with Lamar, and it's it, to me anyway, and this is why, like I said, like if we were talking, if we were having this conversation two years ago, I'd be in the make this move now. Like there's no reason not to bandwagon. But it's mm-hmm. it's the unknown of like, is he going to be the same guy after after this knee injury? Is, is it going to require surgery? Is he going to be the same quarterback? Because one of the things that makes him so dangerous, obviously, is teams have to respect the fact what he can do on the ground, so that affects what they can do in coverage. Right. Obviously, you don't have to worry about that with Carr because he's not. While, while I think he runs better than people realize, he's obviously nowhere near uh, what Lamar can do. So Lamar is that dual threat guy, and that's something I, I was talking to someone about this the other day. And I said we have no idea what Lamar looks like if he says, "You know what? I'm still going to run the ball, but but I'm not doing it's it's going to be a last resort. It's going to be you know I'm not going to run more than five six times a game, wh- whatever it may be." Um, yeah. we, we may be getting a player we've not seen before, which is a, a limited mobility Lamar Jackson. So listen, if they get either one of them, I'll be happy. Um, I would just be a little bit happier with Carr and Skaronsky. And listen, I realize that since I'm saying all this, though, it'll be Carr and he'll get injured in training camp and out for the season. Everyone will be a Glenn, you idiot. You said that mm-hmm. he was the durable guy. And we, you know, that's just kind of the way things go. Um, but yeah, uh, car, car's durability and the, and the being able to get him without giving up multiple ones. I can't, can you see a scenario where he accepts a trade anywhere? Like imagine being in a position where you are a highly sought after commodity and multiple people want to employ you and you already have a, a contract in place, but you can 
just leave, walk out the door and potentially get a much larger one. Like I, I can't when, I mean, unless he just has, which it doesn't seem like it, but unless he has like a ton of respect for the Raiders and feels like, I don't want to screw you guys, get some picks for me just, but you know, maybe there will be more teams interested than what we're hearing, but we're hearing Washington, Carolina, the Jets, and who there's one other team. Um, Commanders? Oh, you said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the another Jets. team. Yeah, but Saints, anyway. Somebody. Maybe it was the Saints. Whoever yeah. it was, I looked at them and thought, those teams aren't, you know, they're, they're not further along than the Jets and, you know, smaller markets and stuff like that. The only thing that worries me, and I've talked about this before, I'm not going to let the weather be a reason not to get him, but I wonder if he wants to be in the warm weather. And right. I wonder if he's like, you know what? Carolina's warmer than New York. Um, you know, it may be Miami sticking with two. I don't know. Tampa Bay might have an opening. At, Tampa Bay is going to have an opening at quarterback. Maybe he says, I want to go play in the sunshine in Tampa. And and all this is a moot point. Um, and if that happens, and if Lamar stays in Baltimore and Carr goes to Tampa, then we're looking at uh, Gardner Minshew. Oh, gosh. Let's not get down that path yet. I think, like you said, you alluded it to, um, if he does have suitors that are willing to trade for um, Derek Carr, that likely means that they will also have people that are willing to pay him more than his current contract amount is allotted for, which right. means that he would rather just be traded at that point. And to your point, I really don't think he cares much for the Raiders organization, especially how That's they the did thing. him. I, and I that, that, that weird m- the video that David Carr came out with about, we have some things to talk about, <laughs> but we're not going to talk about them yet. I, I, yeah. I truly just feel like that's going to be a total – we don't like Josh McDaniel. We're going to throw him under the bus podcast. And if he becomes the Jets quarterback, I certainly will be listening to that podcast. But yeah, I just go back to it. If he, if he has suitors, he's not going to want to take the the forty point four million dollars guaranteed to him. If somebody's going to offer him forty five, somebody's going to offer him forty seven. Yeah. Exactly. Why? And and then like you said, it. I don't think the the price tag is going to be very high. Maybe a third round pick you send a second, get a third back or something of that nature. I don't think it's going to be anywhere. People saying number 13, going to Derek Carr is just silly and out of this, out of the realm I, of possibility. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think like Derek Carr could, Derek Carr could step in and say, I want that place. I want them to be good. So exactly. I, you, can, you can trade me to them for a three and they keep their one and two, or I'll just veto the trade and walk out and go sign with them. Exactly. Because if we can't get the offensive line help, then like, what is the point? Exactly. So and I also think about the stability that Derek wants. So he's not going to want a team giving up future assets just to acquire him. He's going to want stability both financially and from a roster and draft standpoint to build the team around him. So, yeah, I, I think, I mean, hey, there's, you, there's, uh, there's a, I see a lot of people in the chat saying like, what, you know, car can get out. Why wouldn't car just leave? And uh, and it makes sense. And yeah. um Exactly. Yeah. And and then the other thing you mentioned, cold weather, I wrote down, and this has been a, a thought brewing in my head. I wanted to say it live and not on Twitter. If Derek Carr gets Woody Johnson out of the MetLife deal and into a stadium of their own with a retractable roof. Yeah, I'm I'm Derek Carr's biggest fan. I don't care. You know, I want him right now. Uh, that's that's if, if that is a guarantee. But obviously, that's, you know, that's satire and we're joking here but if if he is a bad cold weather quarterback those other teams that you mentioned despite not having all the pieces around them do become more attractive options if they are willing to pony up the exact same as the jets so it's really a tough situation to be in we'll see Uh, february 15th is not that far away i feel like right as as soon as i get back from the senior bowl that's all it's going to be is just where's the car going 
I mentioned the Bucks. They're projected to be fifty-seven million over the cap, um, so they may not be an option. And oh, that, that, um, that's it. Fifty-seven. That's doable. Uh, Just add the forty-five Panthers, million to that. <laughs> Panthers fourteen million over. We thought Oof. maybe the Saints there sixty-one million over. Um, so yeah, there's that. Oh, okay. So the NFC is probably out on Derek Carr, and honestly, I think Derek Carr should be out on the Commanders. I know we're in, in no. You know, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, but uh, the commanders no, they're, are they're a wreck, dude. They're, the commanders they're, they're are a wreck. wreck, exactly. There's no other way to put it. So, yeah, Derek Carr, all signs point. I think if there's betting odds out there, if you live in betting states, um, they're very, they're probably very nice on Derek Carr. You could probably still get plus odds. I know Lamar Jackson, the Jets were the favorite. I think that's just, you know, betters and voters, you know, pushing it that way. I don't think Lamar should be the favorite for the Jets, but Derek Carr definitely should be. Um, with that, I mean, we can, we can close the quarterback debate by saying neither of us are ever going to talk from here to the draft about a first round quarterback or probably a second round quarterback for oh, the Jets. God, man. It, it really hurts my head. Somebody tweeted, uh, Greg Roman and I've seen it, man. Anthony I've Richardson. And I, yeah, I, I, I said, I'll get Anthony Richardson. I said, find me a brick wall so I can run my head straight into it because I'm not dealing mm. with that. We don't have a, a quarterback for 2023 in that scenario. They're both developing Richardson and Zach Wilson if they find a guy who could even develop quarterbacks to begin with. So tough, yep. tough situation to be in, but we will not be talking about rookie quarterbacks, at least under this regime regime for another couple of years. Um, I know we're, we're a little pinched on time, but we started early, so I guess we can just move into draft segment unless there's anything more quarterback related you wanted to talk about. No, I think that uh, I think that covers the quarterbacks. I mean, you know, okay, real real quick, let's take a second. Let's say uh let's say uh Carolina trades for Carl, Lamar resigns. What do you do? All my eggs have shifted to the Aaron Rodgers basket at that moment. I hope that they Okay, let, no Aaron Rodgers. No no okay, no, okay, no okay. Okay. Mortal. If there's no... only mortal QBs are available. Okay. All right. It's really tough, but like Jimmy G trading for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Right. 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 Jimmy G obviously would still be there. Um, If we get out of that realm, honestly, I said it to somebody on Twitter, just run it back with Mike White. Everybody's losing their fucking jobs. I'm sorry. I just said the F word, but everybody's losing their jobs. If we run it back with Mike White. So just run it back at that point. It's, it's embarrassing. If you miss on every single quarterback, Joe Douglas probably doesn't make it to the to week one as the GM. Rob Saul is on the hot seat entering training camp. Woody Douglas lied about pulling his wallet out and spending big money. It, I, I honestly think it's unfeasible to miss on all of them, all of the five quarterbacks that were mentioned. If if Tom Brady's the last resort, you have to go after it because you've lied to everybody and said that you're going to go do well, something about it. It's not it's not lying if you I mean if you offer them the money and they sure. say no. If they're not in get, yes, if they And, if and I have I have yeah. no doubt they're going to offer the money, but sure. um as I've said to people like you can't force Derek Carr. I mean, Derek yeah. Carr has been a California guy his whole life. Yep. And he might go into the situation saying, "I am not leaving the warmth. I'll go to the East Coast, but I'm going to Carolina, or I'm going to Tampa, whatever. I'm not going to the yep. cold." And the Jets have and, and as I've said, man, I don't I'm a firm believer, especially the more you make, because these guys get 30, 40, 50 million, and you can pay no tax or you can pay seven or eight percent. That that's a lot of millions that you're giving away for no reason. Like mm-hmm. you can have warm weather, save money on electricity, <laughs> and get another, you know, eight, nine, ten million cash for signing with that team. That's a that's not 
it's not like, oh, it's a difference of 80 grand. You know, it's it's a lot of millions that you're giving up to go to New York over Florida. Exactly. And I think that's more reason why he would want to restructure his deal and get cut as opposed to keep what he has, because then the taxes are taken right off the top of that. It's not a matter of working in the taxes to equal out everything. Um, I forget the the very last point I was going to make, but it, it it's not, it's just, I don't know. This whole quarterback situation is really tough. I feel like if we could just sit in a, in like a coma for a couple of weeks and just ride out this wave until we have the answer figured out, I'd be much happier because yeah. it seems like no matter what, the OC is going to get hated. Uh, the quarterback's most likely going to get hated. Um, it's really fun to be here. And this offseason is going to be fun if they don't land a quarterback, because I don't think many people make it to the season. Uh, with that, we can move into to, to some draft talk. I know uh, you sent me a ton of clips on Twitter of the guys that I was going to talk about. I didn't have a chance to save all of them. I do have a couple clips of my own guys. Um I'm going to let you go first while I organize my thoughts here, but any of your draft guys that, that you want to bring to the table? Uh, I only I just sent you one clip of uh, of one guy I'm going to talk about and may have mentioned earlier in the year. Um, I'm sure I did, actually. He was on the, the freaks list. He jumped out at me last year. I'm sure you remember last season um, while we were watching draft stuff, I I messaged you and I said, this Pittsburgh front seven is is really has some, some yeah. really good players. Um. And I think uh, t- two guys I'll mention, actually. Um, one, Kalijah Kansi, defensive tackle. You'd probably yes. have to get him in the earlier rounds. Um, explosive guy in the middle of the defense. And we've talked about how the Jets are really lacking with depth there. You know, you, they could really use some some fresh blood in there next to Quinn and Williams. And I think Kalijah Kansi is a player. I mean, he he could be a first-round pick, um, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how he tests. You know, if he, if he blows things up in the during the draft process, he can be a, a, a terror on the interior. But I think he's a guy, if you can get him in round two, I would pounce on him. Um, and another guy, another pit defender, linebacker, Servasse uh, Dennis. He's a guy who can cover. He can get to the quarterback. Might have to add a little bit of weight to play the run a little bit better. But he's a guy, again, who can be a playmaker in this defense. It fills a need. Um, I've seen him mocked in the first and second round, too. Um, so, really, you, you might get one of those guys, but not you're not going to get both. Um and the the third guy, of course, and you know what? I'll 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 do Jake Hayner another time when I have because I have a bunch of Hayner clips. I've been watching mm-hmm. a lot of him because um, because Fresno State just has a lot of good players. They really um, do. I, I, I like their tackle Dante Bull. I'm I don't know if it was my imagination or if it was just because I was watching so much Fresno State a few days ago. I swear they were switching him from left tackle to right tackle throughout the game. Hmm. Like he just switched sides. Definitely game to game. Like I was watching, and I was like, was that mm-hmm. earlier this game? I, Thought he was playing the left a little while ago, and now he's on the right. Uh, but yeah, Dante Bull, I really like. Of course, Remigio, who I've sent you. Jalen Cropper is really good receiver. Um, just some really good players on that team. And and Jake Hayner, man, that that quarterback, he does a lot of things really well. He's not getting enough talk, and I'm glad. Um, if you could grab him in the middle rounds, I would act absolutely couldn't couldn't take him quick enough. Yeah, uh, just going back to the front seven of Pittsburgh first, I feel like over the last few years, they've had a good amount of prospects that I've liked, either even at like some capacity. There was like Rashad Weaver and Patrick Jones the one year. So, and and yeah, you did mention um, Cansey in our big deep dive. I believe that was back in week 11, which it's crazy that that was 10 weeks ago. This season has just completely flown by. But yeah, Pittsburgh is definitely one that I'm, I'm looking forward to. Jake Hayner. Obviously, we we I will get to look at Jake Hayner up close and personal at the Senior Bowl. They haven't announced which teams the quarterbacks will be on yet, but I do know that the 
Jets offensive assistant is coach of the American team running backs. Running backs yeah. So I have been looking at the American team uh, roster first as they go position by position. Um, the first two guys that I watched, I started with the edge group for the American team. Uh, funny enough, they have two guys named Byron Young. One is a defensive tackle for Alabama. He's 6'3", 290. That, Sorry. No, I was going to say that messed me up. I wrote down your names. I didn't see that you put Alabama in, in parentheses. Mm-hmm. And I had a bunch of Byron Young from Tennessee, and I had nothing on the other Byron Young. I was like, oh, damn, it's the wrong guy. So I had to dig up a bunch of games and, uh, oh, and shoot. Like, fast forward through them, waiting to find them make plays. Yeah, I did well, some, Someone had a highlight video of my – I stole two plays from there, and the rest I went into full games and, and just skimmed through to where Alabama was on defense and found them mm-hmm. making some plays. Yeah, and I mean, Byron Young certainly is a playmaker. They lined him up uh, inside and out versatility. Like I mentioned, 6'3", 292. So he does have the the frame to play inside his defensive tackle. I don't think necessarily he should play there every down because watching him start the game and get a lot of one-on-ones with the offensive tackles getting around the outside and then slowly throughout the game, it just progressed into you know, left guard, right guard, kicking over to help the tackle. And then they're chipping him with a, a, a running back or a tight end. So Byron Young was certainly, you know, taking up a lot of blockers as the game went on. I thought he had a really nice bull rush that interior offensive linemen really couldn't handle. They they held him a couple times. Sometimes he was called for it. Sometimes he wasn't. But the fact that he was getting held shows enough that he was winning. I know one time, I believe it was, uh, this is the Alabama tackle against Tennessee. So very confusing. He, he was going up against a rookie right guard, and he just absolutely punished him. So just, you know, Byron Young is one of those guys. I think he's more of a tweener, and I don't know exactly how the Jets would fit him into their defense, but he's got the pedigree from Alabama. I believe he was only a three-star prospect, so it's very uh, rare for, for Alabama. Um, but I, I do like his versatility and his first-step explosiveness, plus his decent moves in the pass rush made him an intriguing prospect. Now, the Byron Young edge from Tennessee, he is certainly more of the mold of who I like. Um, he's more of a speed rusher on the outside. He did a lot of stand-up in their their odd fronts, so three, four uh, outside linebackers. But he did do hand in the dirt, five-tech, normal 4-3 stuff. He's listed at 6'3", 245, so 10 pounds lighter than Bryce Huff. Same height. So basically, you're picturing a similar frame to Bryce Huff. And in some games, he was used like Bryce Huff. I was like, why is Byron Young not on the field in, against Kentucky? He only played 33 snaps. Um, so you mean you mean in some games he was not used like Bryce Huff? I guess 33 snaps is probably all of Bryce Huff's like half-season usage. Yeah, you're right. But when you No, I, at- I just mean in that they're both not used. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I was just confused watching the D-line, and I'm like, why is Six not out there? Because he was making plays every time he was out there, similar to Bryce Huff. Um I, I, like I said, a speed player, his dip move on the outside tackle, the um, outside shoulder of the tackle, excuse me, had guys whiffing. Um, he had a really nice half sack that I'll post on Twitter. Um, his inside move against the left tackle, um, he had a pressure against the running back that I wrote down. The running backs did zero chance against this guy. And I'm talking about 245. So he doesn't really have a ton of strength to play, a, you know, three downs against the run, everything like that. But when he's got his like hair on fire going towards the quarterback, not many people are going to stop Byron Young. Um, so it's funny. Last week I talked about brothers Chase and Sidney Brown. Now I'm talking about two guys with the same name. Who knows? The Jets might draft both of them because that's mm-hmm. what we like to do. Michael Carter, yep. uh, Brees and Bryce, obviously. Um, so those those are my two 
defensive lineman and then finishing up from my review of the Illinois defense from two weeks ago since the last time we were on was two weeks ago. Devon Witherspoon, cornerback from Illinois. I know he's at the Senior Bowl. He doesn't have a team yet locked into his roster, but man, this guy is special. He's the only cornerback I've watched because the Jets really don't need cornerbacks, let's be honest. But if the Jets did need a cornerback, I think he would literally be my number one overall offensive tackles to be the pick at 13. He's just that dude. He talks a lot of trash. His mouthpiece is usually hanging from his face mask, and that's a sure sign that he's talking the trash. He's a great man-to-man corner, great tackler. I posted it on my Twitter. He came across the formation and just leveled the guy in the flat. The the running back took a little bit to get up. I didn't know if he was fully hurt or not, so I was kind of iffy about posting a player getting hurt, but Devon Witherspoon just laid the wood on it. So Devon Witherspoon is a guy he's probably going to go in the top 15. I wouldn't be surprised if he's even gone before the Jets pick at 13. Not saying he's in the the, discussion at 13 for the Jets, but God, He's one of those players that just it's boundary slot, press off. It doesn't matter. Zone, man, he loves man. You sent me the, the mesh video of him running from the top of the formation down against the mesh, averting four total bodies. And and, and I love I loved that the guy he took on on that play probably had 50 pounds on him. Absolutely, um, yeah. And, 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 and that's Al Thompson, 99 from Virginia Tech. Might be the most versatile player in this draft. Um, they, oh, okay. use him at running, they use him at running back, tight end, wide receiver, like legitimately, not like line him up there. Like he gets the ball in all those spots. Yeah. Um, really, really an interesting guy. But sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. That That is interesting that you said that because Witherspoon is only six foot 180. So he is surrendering inches and, you know, weight Pounds. to a lot of to a lot of uh, offensive playmakers, especially in the slot. If they, they have a big slot. But yeah, he's definitely the type of guy that I like. Smooth back pedal, click close, everything. Ronnie Bell gave him some fits, but he did have some moments back on Ronnie Bell, the wide receiver from Michigan. I hope that they're on the same team in Senior Bowl as opposed to the separate teams because I want to see one-on-one in practice more so than the eight times they'll line up against each other in the game. So I'm really excited to see Devon Witherspoon go up against some of these these really intriguing wide receivers at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to it. You know, I was hoping to get out there this year, got the credentials, but I'm not going to be able to make it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, one one downside to being in the UK, you know, it's uh, it's not always convenient to pop out there. So uh, have a great time, and you know, that should be um, should be a lot of good players to watch. And the East West Shrine, man, I keep saying that. Like, there's some some players I really like. Mm-hmm. We're going to be in the East West Shrine game, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, it it should be a, a fun process, and uh, hopefully. Hopefully Douglas makes some moves and and I, I know you said with uh with um with Chris Schubert you didn't think the Jets were going to use that pick at thirteen and mm-hmm. I hope you're right I hope they're using that pick at eighteen or nineteen right um, and still getting a tackle because um it's a lot more fun when when Joe Douglas has fifty million picks to work with yeah exactly and we've done you know the scenarios offline where they don't take a tackle and we explore other options and. I think if they they have a tackle there at thirteen sure like if he's the home run guy that you love but. If you're not sold on the guy yet, just move back a couple of picks, you know, acquire a third rounder or fourth rounder even, and just give yourself more leeway on the board to do whatever he wants to do to move up or back. And obviously if it goes towards a quarterback, we will know that it's probably either a Lamar or an Aaron. Um, but any other quarterback than that, I'd probably be mad if they gave up 13 for. So any, any final thoughts, QB, OC, draft related before we get Actually, out Actually, somewhat, but yes and no, somewhat draft related. We got about three okay. minutes. And I, this, this question was on my mind the other day. Um, we saw this season just how important it is to have depth at that tackle spot. 
Um, and I think it was pretty obvious that George Fant wasn't himself. Like he was playing hurt, even when he was, even when he came back from his injury, he mm-hmm. wasn't the same guy he'd been the previous couple of years. Given those injuries, though, um, that could bring his price tag down. Do you look at bringing George Fant back and with a full off season to recover, hoping he's healthy next year, not as a starter, but if you have Fant as depth, that maybe gives you that little bit of wiggle room because we talked about it and it did intrigue me. Like when I look at these guys, like like uh, Matthew Bergeron, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the kid from uh, BYU, whose name just is it Freeland? Blake right? Freeland. Yep. Freeland, yeah. Um, I watch those guys and I'm like, if they feel like they can get those guys at 42 and get a Josh Downs or an Addison or or a Michael Mayer in round one, like another weapon for that offense, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have a problem with it. Um, and I, I feel like if you have like, you know, Becton's a question mark, but you bring Fant back. I mean, he's a question mark too, but Becton, Fant, and a, a, a tackle at four, in the 40s, I'm not saying they should do it because I've been banging the, you know, offensive tackle in round one drum for months now. Yeah. But I just kind of played around with the idea the other day and thought if there are enough guys, if they think they can get a, a starter in round two, which does happen, it's not, you know, it's not as if you can't find starters in round two and beyond. Um, why not go with a, a, a receiver or a Michael Mayer in round one and then grab a Bergeron or Freeland in round two? Yeah, exactly. But sorry, sorry, my, my, sorry, my question about was, Fant. Do, you bring, do you bring Fant back? I went on a tackle tirade. No, that's you, that, that's you fine bring, because, bring... yeah, I don't want to pigeon my, pigeonhole myself into any position at 13, so you have to explore all options. Dwayne Brown still is under contract for next year. I know it's a weird cap number, and he could just very well retire. But if he gets on the mend, you have George Fant on the mend, obviously Mekhi Becton. You have four tackles that are very questionable tackles, but – if you can retain three of those four by just bringing back a Dwayne Brown or a George Fant, yeah, absolutely. You open up the, uh, the the possibilities. And like you said, no, don't take one at 13. You could trade back at a Dewan Jones from Georgia, Broderick Jones, excuse me, uh, Dewan Jones from Ohio State. Um, those are the guys Chris Schubert mentioned last week. So, yeah, you have plenty of options that you're not trying to pigeonhole yourself into 13. So, yeah, bring back as many offensive linemen in general. Bring back Herbig uh, if you really want to say Bring back say, McGovern. Like you he, bring Herbig back, and you view AVT as a possible tackle. Exactly, you know? and yeah. Herbig's at your guard, so yep. something like that. Exactly, yeah. and and if you're drafting in that scenario, Peter Skaronski, he can give you guard to tackle flexibility. He's played all over the offensive line, so yeah, just give yourself as many possible options before you get to the draft. And I think Fant is at a reduced price now, so he has to you know pick somewhere to go if he wants to keep playing. So why not yep. just stay here? So I, I certainly agree with that. Um, yeah, I guess that's going to be it. Uh, obviously, go Bengals. And who you got, Niners, uh, Cowboys, real quick. Niners. Look, I, did I yes. did I share that stat with you? What was that? There was a stat a few weeks ago. I don't think it's changed. Like, teams playing the 49ers were like 0-9 or like 1-10 the following week. Like, that's oh, how, yeah, yeah. That's how physical they wear you down. And, and, and uh, you know, they're playing a team on short rest. So... I think, uh, you know, I don't love the idea of Monday night playoff football. I know it's good for ratings, but giving teams one less day to rest and prepare for the playoffs doesn't seem right to me. But I think, uh, yeah, I think I think we're going to see them win today um, or tonight. And um, it's uh, the bank. I think the Bengals win. Mm-hmm. But um, that, and that that Bengals, you know, that Bengals matchup next week will be interesting. Yeah, I hope. Oh, wait, the- no, wait, sorry, no, wait, I take that back. It's Bengals Bills, isn't it? Today, yeah, Bengals Bills. I'm, I'm taking the Bills. I saw I saw someone do a video on that the other day. Like, it was sort of conspiracy theory ish. Mm-hmm. On like, you know, it's all rigged and all that, which I don't believe. 
but the, the numbers he was given, like the ref that's working the game, the Bills are like. Are you talking about Warren Sharp? Like they're like eight and one or nine and one when that guy refs, yeah. which is insane for any team to have that record with one guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were just a few factors where I and and I just the Bills. I know they they I know they hiccuped it, you know, points during the season, but coming into the year, I, I thought they were going to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think for the predictive standpoint, I want the Bills because I predicted them to make it to the Super Bowl against the Eagles, um, but. At the same time, I can't root for the Bills, and I really want the the Bengals oh, yeah. to win. But I'll, I also I want the Bengals to. Win. I also don't want the neutral site AFC Championship game because that entire video that Warren Sharp said would be a moot point, and I'm glad that if that's not that's not the case, refund fifty thousand people for their tickets because I just I don't I don't like the 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 neutral site thing. I know it's being talked about as like a possibility for AFC and NFC games moving forward for the championship, and I don't like that. I know it's probably going to be a thing for money and. It might happen. So, yeah, let's go Bengals. Uh, Niners yeah. all the way. I, I hope I hope Dak Prescott does well. I like Dak Prescott, but I just I can't root for the uh, the Cowboys, and I just can't do it. So, <laughs> all with, right, man. With that, um, we'll get out of here. Thank you everybody for tuning in. We had a, a lot of viewership. Um, we'll we'll be back next week. We'll probably start our offense our offensive review of the season, talking about all the stats, players moving forward, free agency, how it's going to really affect this offense, and. And and until next time, let's go Jets.